I think there's always fear, you know, there's always the fear of all of the things that come up for all of us. And I, I still have that. It's not that I'm fearless. It's just that I push through despite the fear because mm-hmm. I would rather know than wonder what, what if. Welcome to Latinx Scan, a podcast showcasing Latinx professionals who turn their dreams into realities. I'm your host, La Doctora Janire Flores Delgado, and today I bring you tips and tricks shared by Carolina Gropa, an Emmy-nominated producer who dreamed of being an actor, and after struggling to find opportunities, she decided to create her own, and she is here to tell you, si se puede, my friends, si se puede. You decided to move to LA then in 2006. Yeah. And then then we had the financial crisis of 2008 and in between the writer's strike. So those were significant challenges that were definitely outside of your control at the time of transition. So how do you make it work? You know, you, you say that you were a person maybe from your you know immigrant background it's like sometimes as an immigrant there there isn't an option to fail so you you get creative and try to make it you know try to keep your head about above water how was that for you I think being in school helped. And, you know, I took that very seriously, because for me to come out here to do this conservatory was a big expense. My parents refinanced their house to help Mm -hmm. pay for it. So I went from costing no money, having won a bunch of scholarships on top of my full ride. I had gotten a bunch of other scholarships I had applied for, because again, I was an overachiever that actually helped finance my first year in college and rent and stuff like that. So I went from that to like being an expense to my parents. And so I wasn't going to let those circumstances get in the way of what mm-hmm. I was here to do. And so it's one of those things where you just find a way through. And I just didn't, like you said, I, I didn't see coming back home as an option. I had committed mm-hmm. to two years and I did my two years. But yeah, when when everything started kind of shutting down a bit, I thought, well, I had been doing just the actor hustle, which is an incredibly hard grind. You know, you have to really have a passion for for this thing. And this was at a time in the industry, which not that long ago, but feels like forever ago, mm-hmm. where, you know, people could literally say to you, casting directors, oh, like, you're not a Latina enough. Like, you're not, you're not, <laughs> yeah. like, you're too white. Like, where are you from? You know, and so I got put in this box where I was considered ethnically ambiguous was the yeah. term they, they used yeah. to use, you know? <laughs> and I didn't understand it because at the time I spoke enough Spanish to like book a Burger King commercial and sell you a Whopper. Mm-hmm. But it was just this, this, it was like this thing over me mm-hmm. all the time. And so I reached a point in 2008, 2009 where I got depressed and I did almost move back home because I'm like, man, I've been grinding it out. It's been three years. Like, and you're when you're young, you think it's like, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30 and famous, <laughs> if, if not, you know, before. Yeah. So I just was like, I've been here three years. Nothing's happening. This is ridiculous. I was doing the whole hustle and the grind of it all. And I wasn't getting the traction. And um, so my mom was like, well, if you think you've tried everything and you're ready to come back home, then yeah, of course, we'll, we'll always take you. Mm-hmm. And I, it wasn't too late. I could have come back and still finished my college degree. Mm-hmm. 
But I was like, all right, well, what can I do? How do I take matters into my own hands? And that's when I had the seed planted. Well, you got to create your own work. Mm. And I wasn't really writing. I wasn't really, I didn't have those skill sets at the time. So what occurred to me was I'm going to, I just had this very clear thought. All right, I'm going to produce a piece of theater. I'm going to put on a play. Mm. I'm going to get someone to give me money to do this play. And I'm going to cast myself as the lead. And that's going to be the turning point of my career as an actor. I'm going to get better representation. I'm going to be seen by casting directors. And I did that. And it's sort of through a series of very crazy, miraculous, serendipitous events that led me there. Um, And that was May 2010. You must be a very good picture because you got your parents to give you money to move to the LA. And then you also got somebody to finance your theater play. <laughs> you know, you must be yeah. very good. At convincing I would say people. so. I think, I think that it's like being a good picture is really just having a true passion for the mm-hmm. thing that you're saying you want someone yeah. to believe in, right? You're saying I have this dream. The dream is to move. The dream is to get a movie finance. The dream is to start a new business. And people are investing in you because when you don't have a track record, all you have is your word and your enthusiasm for something. And I've learned that that can go much further than experience most of the time. Mm -hmm. And my parents, you know, of course, they just wanted to support me and what I was doing. But with the play, it was one of those things where I put in my head that I needed $20,000 to produce a play, which was more than I needed, but not, you know, not like not enough money. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I threw a series of random circumstances. I met a guy who was just interested in investing and promoting people who were following their passions. And his only after the experience, he said to me, he's like, all I want from you is for you to pay this forward, Mm -hmm. you know, because someone showed me this kindness and this belief in me along the way. So you have to pay it forward. And I, and I, that experience of producing that play being the lead of that play while mm-hmm. holding three part-time jobs to actually afford to live while doing yeah. all of that. It really wow. transformed me. Yeah. And after that, everybody that the, after that experience, um, I got a ton of people wanting me friends and, and colleagues to produce their shorts, to produce their thing. And so I mm-hmm. kept getting all of these sort of producing offers where acting was so difficult. Producing was like, welcome we've been waiting for you we need you you know yeah so I just said all right I'm going to keep yes ending this while I continue Mm -hmm. to pursue my career as an actor Mm -hmm. and so then that circumstance of you know sort of creating or needing to create your own opportunities like you said let you to sort of reinvent yourself and and realize that maybe being a producer could be a career path what does it entail to be a producer and how do you sort of welcome it into your life? I think that when I discovered what producing was, I think like a lot of people, when you think of entertainment, movies, television, you think of the writer, the director, the actors, the things you can see, right? We don't really think about the people behind the scenes. I know I certainly didn't. Even after Mm -hmm. years of being in the business, I still couldn't tell you what a producer did. And when I had the experience of putting that play together, I was like, oh, that's what a producer does? Like, I've been this way my whole life. I'm always Mm. the person who is (laughs) enabling things to happen, putting it together, juggling multiple, you know, things at once and thriving in chaos and and like just really leaning into it and finding joy and the curiosity of like, no, I've never done this one thing, but I want to figure out how to do that. I'm just fascinated by the process of anything. And so for me, it was clear that like I had a skill set that was very innate to who I was, who I am, that I could leverage to 
to get where I was going. And I also had, at the time, I was a, a nanny for Bob Odenkirk, um, the actor, and he would say, you know, this industry is very hard. And if there's anything you can do besides act, you should do it because acting is, it's not up to you. You know, mm-hmm. you don't really get to control the success, especially yeah. at the time. I think now yeah. it's a little different. I think there's a lot of opportunities to write, create, share your own work through all the millions of mediums um, that exist. Yeah. But at the time, it really, you didn't have that much access. So, yeah. so I really listened to that. And so I created a new dream. And that dream was that I was going to produce produce learn how to produce and then I was eventually gonna create my own opportunities as an actor and have the knowledge of how to make a movie or a tv show and insert myself in those projects okay all right so break it down for me (laughs) for a person who is completely out of the industry what does it mean to be a producer Okay, so what I do is that I'm an independent film producer, Mm -hmm. and I have strong roots in physical production. So what that means is there are many producers. In fact, I have a podcast called Angle on Producers Mm -hmm. that used to be called Life with Kaka. It's now called Angle on Producers that where I chat with other producers to sort of demystify what do producers do? There's so many different titles. If you're talking about film or television or studios, it's like really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But in the world that I operate in, where I sort of came up in the trenches, I'm the person who is literally on the ground executing. So you have a script and you have a budget and you have a schedule in mind of how you want to do this. And you come to me and you say, Hey, I have, this project I want to do, and this is the amount of money I want to spend. How do Mm -hmm. we do it? And so Mm -hmm. I'm the person that helps you figure out how we're going to actually execute. So what's on the script to get it on the screen and everything that happens in the middle of that process, that's Mm -hmm. what I do. And so it's working closely with the creatives on the ground on the actual production, physical production of the movie in this case. And so a lot of my experience comes from, feature films, documentaries, Mm -hmm. and some commercial sort of work as well. So, and all of that is different shades of the same color. You know, you just have different languages and different people that are in power or responsible. But at the end of the day, you're doing the same thing. You are, you're executing, you are playing various roles because sometimes you have to be a cheerleader. Sometimes you have Mm -hmm. to be a mom and sometimes you have to be, you Mm -hmm. know, the bad guy sometimes Mm -hmm. you just have to be all kinds of things you're often a therapist but you are the right hand usually to the creative filmmaking team Mm -hmm. guiding them through the day-to-day of getting the project or the film in this case in the can in a hard drive so they can go off to post-production and make the movie okay and so your education and sort of your formal training was an, as an actor how do you then gain the knowledge to and the skills to become a producer and now you know an emmy nominated producer <laughs> i think that people who and after you know after 50 episodes of my podcast i think what i've learned is that it's a personality type the kinds of people that are drawn to this specific thing are people who thrive in chaos, are people who are hungry to learn. Mm -hmm. Most of them have really crazy, interesting paths that you could never could have predicted would have led them to producing. And I think mine is no different. You know, Mm -hmm. when I was in act, mostly just acting, I would be on set and I would be just anxious waiting in my my trailer. I wanted to be on the set. I wanted to know what Mm -hmm. everybody was doing. I wanted to understand, okay, who's that guy with the clipboard? Who's he talking? What's he saying on the walkie? Like, I wanted to understand how the whole process came together. Mm -hmm. And so 
that was a signal that I wanted more than just my right. small piece of the pie, right? Yeah. And so I started to follow that curiosity and watching and learning and, and just trying to shadow people, going up to people and saying, I don't know how to do this, but can I come learn from you? And mm-hmm. so it really was by honestly like knocking on doors and elbowing yeah. my way into rooms and opportunities that no one really yeah. handed to me. And that is like you know, immigrant hustle 101, mm-hmm. like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and there's a story, you know, in my preparation for, for this podcast, I, I heard a couple of different episodes that you were a guest on a podcast as well. And there was a story about uh, a producer that you admired, and you reached out to that producer to help you sort of develop your skills. Can you tell us the story? Yeah, so in in 2015, at this point, I had been producing for about five years. Mm-hmm. I had done enough shorts and, you know, unpaid jobs and, and sort of through, again, a serendipitous series of events, I got to produce my first feature project. And in my world, shorts are great. They're all really good experience. But when you get a feature length project, whether it's a documentary or a narrative film, mm-hmm. you get it into a festival. That's when people start to kind of look at you and take you a little more seriously. Mm-hmm. There's just a stamp of validation that comes with it. It's a whole other conversation for another day. But <laughs> I produced this documentary called Autism in Love, mm-hmm. um, which premiered at Tribeca in 2015, which is one of the bigger festivals here in the US um, went on to become Emmy nominated hence that's where my Emmy nomination comes from but I knew okay I don't want to get stuck doing docs I kind of stumbled into the doc Mm -hmm. thing I wasn't looking for it it found me and I was like okay this is I have to follow this because this is taking me somewhere and I'm so glad I did it's still one of the projects I'm proudest to of date but I wanted to get in the narrative space which is movies basically you know when you think of a movie it's a narrative film and one of my favorite movies is this movie called Short Term 12, which had come out a couple of years prior. And so I found that the producer was speaking at a panel, like a no budget film festival panel, very low key with a couple of other admirable ladies. And so I went to this panel and after the panel, I went up to her and I just said, you know, I think you're incredible and I've been following your career and here's who I am and here's what I've done. So I wasn't coming up to her saying, I have no experience. Let me learn from you. I was saying, hey, I've done all of these things, but I want to go where you've been going and I don't Mm -hmm. know how to get there. But if there's ever an opportunity to learn from you, I would love that. Yeah. And she was impressed by that, you know, mm-hmm. and she I didn't come across as like a weirdo or desperate. Like I said, I had done enough where you could look me up and go, OK, this is someone who's like actively working towards this. I think oftentimes you get approached by people like that and they have absolutely no experience and that's mm-hmm. OK. Mm-hmm. But you just have to be careful when you are reaching for an ask like that to make Mm -hmm. sure you're prepared if the person says yes and I just knew Mm -hmm. I was prepared to go to that next level and yeah so we went to tea and we really connected and vibed and it ends up that we have the same birthday and so I was like you know we're both Scorpios (laughs) and that woman is Elizabeth Hughes who produced Short Term 12 which was Brie Larson's first movie that kind of put her on the map and catapulted her to become who she is today she's most you know most people may recognize her from The Room where she won an Academy Award and Mm. uh, Captain Marvel and ever since that from 2015 on I did I think three or four features with Elizabeth and till this day she's a good friend and recommends me for projects and I would say was a turning point of my career having her say yes Mm. having her believe in me having her mentor me and teach me 
and just kind of throw me again into the chaos that was a whole different side of producing I had not been exposed to. Yeah. But I was ready to swim, you know, and I think mm. it showed that I was yeah. ready to like grind it out. I think from that story, there's two things that I find very interesting. The first one is something that I'm, you know, I feel like I, I identified with and is that want or, or yearn to really look for those opportunities, not wait for the opportunities to come to you. You know, you you mentioned that you identify that Elizabeth was speaking at a panel and you prepared for it. One thing that I wanted to ask you, though, is like, you know, fi- you really have to find that courage within yourself to be able to say, okay, I'm going to reach out to this person and I'm going to do the best I can. How do you get over that hurdle? I think there's always fear, you know, there's always the fear of all of the things that come up for all of us. And I I still have that. It's not that I'm fearless. It's just that I push through despite the fear. Because Mm -hmm. I would rather know than wonder what what if I would rather be the person who who tries and goes up and says, I didn't work. But at least I walk away from that knowing that I put my best foot forward. And Mm -hmm. everything is a lesson. Maybe it wasn't meant to be I always try to look at things that way. If things aren't aligning in that moment, like maybe step back, there may be some Mm -hmm. other lesson you need to learn before you unlock the level to go to this next stage of where you think you're ready to go. I think Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of self-awareness which I certainly didn't have back then to recognize are you really ready for certain things I think that Mm -hmm. I just kind of assumed I was and projected confidence which is just innate again to who I am that led people believe all right this girl can probably figure it out and so much of producing really is just being the kind of person who thrives in like I don't have the answer but I'm gonna find it I'm gonna find Mm -hmm. out and so much of my journey has been shades of that And so, yeah, I think it's just, I get nervous and I I still get like very, like, oh my gosh, I clamp up and stuff, but I just eventually do it. And then always a wonder, like, I have yet to regret a time when I've just Mm. gone for it, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I you know, I don't know if in the movies or, or the cartoons that you saw when you were little, you would see this concept of butterflies in your stomach. Yeah, um, <laughs> I feel those, but they don't feel like butterflies in my stomach. It feels very uncomfortable. Yes, they, they actually say that when you're a kid, it's like butterflies in your stomach. And when you become an adult, you just feel like vomiting. It's like not such a cute <laughs> yeah. metaphor, but it's yeah. true. And I think it's, it's a good sign to me because it's like you care so much mm-hmm. that it messes with you emotionally so much, right? And and yeah. everybody's on their own journey, but it's like if you can tap taper that and just kind of take a beat and just be like, okay, like I'm not, you have to acknowledge that those feelings exist and they're right. real, but you also have to understand that everybody probably feels like that. And for mm-hmm. example, now knowing Elizabeth and being her friend, I know she was extremely nervous. She doesn't mm. like meeting new people. She's like, it's not yeah. her. She likes to be behind the scenes. Being on a panel is like very exposing for her. She was mm. super nervous that day. So if you stop and think, if I'm nervous, other people are probably nervous too. Then you just see that we're all just yes. humans navigating this earth. Not any yeah. one of us is like God. So it's just trying to identify and connect on a more human level as opposed to putting whoever it is you're trying to reach on this pedestal mm. and going, oh my God, yeah. they're this person. It's like, no, they're just yeah. another person having a day and you yeah. get to have a moment, a conversation, maybe it leads somewhere, maybe it doesn't. But in that moment, just be a be a person that is worth talking to for three minutes if that's yeah. all you get, you know? Don't be yeah. 
weird or come up to someone without knowing them and shove your business card in their face, think if you were on the other side of that. No one likes to to have that energy towards them. So don't put mm-hmm. that out. Yeah, that's great advice. And and anyway, right? Like even if you're just applying for a job, I I can remember my days of going to a career fair at school and those were the most awkward times, right? But but yeah. it's true. You know, at the end of the day you try try to make it less awkward and more it, comfortable. And it's a skill, honestly. Mm-hmm. It is not something that it, people who per, who project that they have had to teach themselves and it comes with failure. It comes with honestly like practicing with lower stakes circumstances Mm -hmm. you know so even if you're just like at a house party whenever that's a thing again or you're in an environment where there's like a new person that walks into a room and you're like oh gosh there's a new person in this room and i'm not the kind of person who likes to say hello to new people just go up and say hello to that person anyway right just to say hello and then just you get that you start to understand that that's always going to come up that trigger and you're just going to like shush it and go away. And if that person's mean to you, that's okay. But you're practicing that skill every time. So when the person you've dreamed your whole life of meeting is standing before you or in an elevator with you, you know how to navigate that. Yeah. That's really good advice. Yeah. The other thing that you said that I found really interesting right now is that you said you were prepared if she said yes, you know? Yeah. When you approached Elizabeth, if she said yes, you would prepare for the next step of that conversation. I find that interesting because maybe sometimes people really muster the courage to reach out, but then they don't believe in themselves enough to say, oh, this person might say yes, and what do I do next, mm-hmm. right? That was in your case. But like, what would you advise other people who may be in that similar situation? I think you have to really take inventory of what it is you want and what your goals are, right? And in the world that I operate in, it's like, you have to really be honest with yourself. Like at the time I had produced so many commercials. And so I knew that like, all right, I can handle running a small team of people for these these projects. So I feel like there's something about this that I'm ready for, even though I don't know all of the things. I know I'm going to learn quickly. I know I'm going to figure it out. I know I'm going to work really hard and never misrepresent someone who's giving me an opportunity. So, so I think you have to really be honest with yourself. So if the thing that you're trying to do is a big reach, if you have like that level of anxiety, that is that there is a distinction between butterflies of excitement and then like, Oh my God, I actually don't know anything Mm. about this. It would be like, if I came to you and said, Hey, I actually want to switch careers and I want to like, be a chemist and all this stuff and you went great okay here's an opportunity come to the lab it's like I would absolutely fail you and you would be never talk to me again because I don't know the first thing about it you know what I mean (laughs) but if I had had some preliminary understanding or maybe when I went to school I had two years of of this kind of thing I could go all right well I know enough of a baseline that I Mm -hmm. think I could step into this and be challenged in a good way and figure it Mm -hmm. out. So it's Mm -hmm. that distinction, I suppose, like, Mm -hmm. is this a challenge that kind of takes you to that next level? Or is this such a reach that you're not really setting yourself up for, for success? For example, if I had gone to someone like Spielberg and said the same thing and said, Hey, I'm ready to produce a $100 million studio movie. Give me a shot. And he said, yep, Carolina, step right in. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> that would probably ha- not have turned out so great. I would have mm-hmm. probably figured it out, but I yeah. don't know if I would have spiritually survived in the process yeah. because that is too far of a leap from where I was. So mm-hmm. it's kind of trying to see where you're hopping, you know, yeah. and how to get there. I hope yeah. that answers it. It's it's so hard to give that kind of advice because it's so specific to to each person's journey. Yeah, but I think what's important is understanding that you have to believe in yourself enough that they might say yes, they might buy you on your offer and then you need to be ready as well and say, okay, these are the things that I could possibly do. And even even if you do feel that fear, because like you said, that fear is very, it's very natural. It's normal. Um, yeah. Everybody feels it. No matter, I, I, I haven't met one person whom haven't felt it. They might seem like they don't, but inside they have a lot of butterflies. <laughs> I think it's challenging to be a humble person, but then also really believe that and remember that you are your biggest advocate no one's going to care about you and your things and what you want and your dreams as much as you they're just not maybe when you're making someone millions of dollars like they'll care but until then like you have to constantly be your own cheerleader and it's not a false sense of self or, or to be egotistical It's to be humble enough to know that like if you're not out there tooting your own horn for the things that you want there's no one knocking on your door just handing out opportunities and so how then I think it's a question of integrity and who you want to be as like an individual in your life regardless of what industry you're in and how do you want to show up and how do you want to like grow especially I think as our jobs are so much of our identity and our lives, mm-hmm. our lives, you know, I think if you look at the math, I don't know, there's like whatever percentage of your life you spend working is a very large percentage. So yeah. then I don't think that the self that is your work, wearing your worker hat and your personal hat should be mutually exclusive. I think they are mm-hmm. the same person, especially in my industry where mm-hmm. it's all about the skills yes the knowledge yes but ultimately it's who you are like do i want to be around you for 16 hours a day Mm -hmm. for months on end like are you a pleasant person are you positive like are you do you have a sense of humor are you humble or are you going to be a pain in my ass because the process is not glamorous of making any kind of art and it is extremely difficult you know yeah extremely difficult with a million things that can go wrong along the way so to get to be in that space it's a privilege and thus the least you could do is not be a terrible human being (laughs) right thank you for listening if you want to put a face to the voices you just heard follow us on instagram twitter and tiktok at latinxcan if you have questions or feedback you can email us at latinxcan at gmail.com and if you want to support our project please leave a review We have made it easy for you and added the links to the show notes. That's it for now. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And remember, unidos somos más. (laughs) 